0: Hello, it's me. I'm Nick. Welcome back to your Daily Dose. How coordinated are you? I'm talking about like hand-eye, shirts and socks, every type of coordination that exists. I'm not great across the board. On this episode, Bob and I discuss both clothes and the skills, the coordination skills needed to pull off great pratfalls and great fight scenes. Enjoy.
1: Don't you feel better when you're color coordinated? Yes. That's all I'm saying is that when things are color coordinated, they are actually coordinated. And I think things that are coordinated work better. So when I wear clothing that's all black, it's because I want to coordinate my clothing so that I'm not fighting anything to get things done.
0: So you don't wear formal clothes as much anymore? No, I don't. Although last time I did, I was at a
1: nephew's wedding and it Felt really kind of good to put that Did stuff it? out again. Yeah, it's just because I, I felt like I was peacocking a little bit. Yeah, you know, just dressing up, going out. I don't like the feeling of a slip knot around my neck. I really don't. But I like the look of it. It just like, looks sharp, and I it was kind of raised on sharp-looking ties and suits and shirts and stuff. Dressing
0: up on occasion. And... Well,
1: I worked in the corporate world, so yeah. I was wearing, you know, ties and pocket pieces for 14 years working for Orlando Health. I, uh... Okay,
0: so going, could you see yourself going back to something like that right no, now? No,
1: no, no, no. I couldn't because I, I've grown very accustomed to comfort. Yeah, and I think comfort is essential to me to my formula. If I'm feeling really uncomfortable with the clothing I'm wearing, I don't I don't perform as well. I don't do as well. Even wearing like an, an ear microphone, an over the ear microphone, I don't like that feeling. I you don't. just wear them all the time. <laughs> I should just to get used to it. And that's just what I would do. 7. It. If yeah. it was demanded of me. I would probably do that. Yeah. Otherwise, I just kind of avoid it. You know, I had I, last night. I had my level one class graduate at SAC, and I came out with an over the ear microphone on. What I didn't realize was that it wasn't fully plugged into the battery pack that was transmitting to the booth. So Chris Dinger yells from the booth, Hey Bob, I think you're on mute. Why don't you unmute your microphone? When I go to unmute my microphone, I reach into my pocket and the whole cord just pops out and starts dangling from my ear down to my ankle because it's become undone. So then I pull the battery out of my pocket and with the battery comes the free tickets I'm giving away after the half scattered all over the, uh, the stage. I wrote a note to Chris after the show it's telling him how I felt like my energy really wasn't right tonight in the show. And he said, I thought you were fantastic and hilarious. He goes, I th- you could have planned that as a as a physical gag a and bit, it worked yeah. because you pulling out the mic cord to everyone's surprise and then pulling everything out and scattering it all over the stage, it just looked like something you know that you would see in a black and white movie. So yeah, I, that
0: bit where you're trying to pick up the ball, but you keep kicking the ball. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Buster Keaton, right? And was, and guess what? Maybe, maybe Buster Keaton. Maybe it wasn't all planned. Maybe he was just having a doofus day, and someone caught it on film. You know? Have you ever actually seen Buster Keaton?
0: Oh my gosh, those kind of physical comedy, you know, kind of culminated for me with uh, someone like Mr. Bean. But yeah. anybody who could do that stuff,
1: I agree. I agree. I think he is the modern equivalent of the Charlie Chaplin, the Buster Keaton. Uh, Three Stooges Oh, and and Three Stooges to a little bit of more of a base kind of way Because there weren't as many um, like Rube Goldberg experiences in the Three Stooges And Buster Keaton, I'd be amazed at how one event leads to another, leads to another Another person, Jackie Chan Okay, if you've ever seen Jackie Chan fight It's good. good Very much of that One thing leads to another And you didn't see that coming It almost surprises you so that I catch myself going Whoa And it's
0: like, that's a good feeling If you're doing that in a movie Whoa That's a good thing. I think we were talking about cringe comedy not too long ago and the outtakes at the end of a lot of Jackie Chan movies. Oh. I can't watch a second time. Oh. I'll watch them once and kind of laugh because he's presenting us with an opportunity to laugh at this. Exactly. He said, I have gotten hurt (laughs) and I know normally you'd feel bad about seeing that. But here it is. I want you to laugh at it. And the thing is,
1: you laugh and you cringe at it. There was one in particular that I remember, because I always watch those. Uh, That's one of my favorite parts of his movies. Is he's in uh, Shanghai Noon. He's trying to jump through the slot beneath a bank teller's bars. Okay, the old west bank tellers had bars and the little slot. But he could just fit. Through the slot, and he took a running jump feet first and slid and caught his head. He was supposed to turn his head to the side so he could get through, didn't, and caught his head right in there. And it was just, it was bone crunching and it was also hilarious. And I think it actually injured him enough that he had to rehab for a couple of weeks before he could go back to shooting. But yeah, I would imagine this was the nature of Jackie Chan, though. He took chances and then he went into serious action uh, acting, I should say. Um, you ever see the movie The Foreigner?
0: I don't remember. if I've seen the foreigner. I saw a couple of those other ones, like uh, the police one. I can't remember. In the sequel, oh, I think it's called Police Story. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah he's really good. I mean, he
1: got he could actually act. He started yeah. as a classically trained actor, but then went into the martial arts films and really tapped into his physical comedy. I'm I'm obviously a little bit of a Jackie Chan geek. We used to go into Boston to watch his movies. Uh, and that was when I was a kid, you know. So.
0: That was the only place they would show them?
1: Actually, at a certain time, Big Brawl was kind of the first movie that Jackie Chan became famous among American audiences. But before that, there were dozens of Chop Sockey films that I could not even tell you the name of. And by the way, Chop Sockey, that was something that we said in the 70s. I'm not sure that that's not racist now. So I thought it had to do with the Kung Fu chopping and socking, but... Uh, but I really don't it know my
0: might
1: Question mark, question mark Yeah, so I'll stop using it until I know Okay uh, <laughs> That's a new rule for me now I'm like, hey, is that racist? Or is that sexist? Or is that ageist? And if I think it might be I'll just pause my use of that Until I actually look it up Talk to somebody or figure it out uh, yeah. That way I reduce the number of uncomfortable moments in my life Okay gang, so a little follow up on Chop Saki I did some research and here's what I found Chop is a colloquial term for martial arts and kung fu films made primarily by Hong Kong action cinema between the late 1960s and early 1980s. The term was coined by American motion picture trade magazine Variety following an explosion of films after 1973's release of Five Fingers of Death. The term is a play on Chop Suey, combining chop as in karate chop and sock as in punch. While the term Chop Saki could be used to disparage a film, I found no reference to it being considered a racist term so I get to keep using it for now. That's all for this episode of The Dose. Thanks for listening. Have a chop day.